Okay, so we're, we're, we're going to be in the book of Luke. And so uh, I, didn't, I didn't have the slides put the, the, the um, Bible verses up there today um, because it's a lot. And if you have the handout, you can see just how much I really want us to, to cover. And the truth is, is like I've been praying and, and I've been trying to figure out how to talk about and present everything that I want to talk about today. And the truth is, is I can't. Um, and there's part of me that wanted to go to the book of Exodus and read a chapter uh, about the Passover lamb. And, and I just don't have time to do that. There's a part of me that wanted to talk about Jesus' last supper because uh, today I want us to kind of focus in on the last supper, uh, the, the Lord's supper that we we call this many different names. Some people call it a sacrament. Some people call it uh, an ordinance. Uh, we could call it... Um, we could call it uh, the communion, or we could call it the Lord's Supper. But ultimately, what we're, we're, we're trying to replicate and remember here at this table is a time before what we're going to read today when Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And he symbolically shares what we're going to take part of today, later. And, and when he does this, he tells them it has meaning. And he tells them to do it in remembrance. And so before we approach this, I want us to talk about that story. To talk about not, not when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, but what these things represent. And the truth is, is what these things represent are impactful. Sometimes I wish I wasn't so emotional, but if there's ever anything to be emotional about, that's what we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter number 23. And this story is told in all four gospel accounts, because what we're talking about today is the gospel. And so all, there's four books, there's, there's four different people that, that set out to give the, 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 the context the events and the, what happened with what these things symbolize. And so in Luke chapter number 23, if you'll turn there, I, I would appreciate you guys like reading along with me. It, but really, if, if it's easier for you to imagine what's happening, to just close your eyes, I beg of you to do that. If it's easier for you to remember by reading it, then do that. If it's easier for you to remember by just praying right now and asking God to open your eyes and your heart to recognize what he did, do that. Because what we read today is the most important thing that we can read about in all of history. In Luke chapter number 23, we read, I'm going to start in verse number 13. Luke 23, starting in verse 13. This is picking up. Jesus has been on trial. He's been, the, the, the Jewish rulers, the Sanhedrin, they take Jesus. They've arrested Jesus after Judas has betrayed him with a kiss. And he's been arrested. And he's taken to the Jewish Sanhedrin, the ruling council. And they've tried him. And they found him guilty of blasphemy. 
and they've uh, taken him because they're not allowed to kill him to the Romans. They took him to Pilate, and Pilate, uh, he, he interrogated him, and he couldn't find anything wrong, but then he found out he was Galilean, so he sent him over to the Galilean governor, which is Herod, and Herod interviews him and interrogates him, and he can't find anything wrong with him. And so he sends him back to Pilate. He says, hey, you're over this whole region. This is more for you to figure out. And then we pick up here in verse number 13. Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. They all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. They were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave them sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he had delivered Jesus to their will. Crazy to think about this with context because you have a justice system that has been overridden by a mob. And because of emotion and because of fear, an innocent man is condemned to death. It's been proven he's innocent time and time and time again. And instead of the innocent man being free, the condemned is set free. Barabbas. Everyone knows what he did. He caused the death of many by leading a rebellion against the Romans. Deserving of death. And yet he walks free. And these people are crying, crucify him, crucify him. Because of what he said because of how they responded to what he said because they were you know in the book of John it says that the men love evil or men love darkness because their deeds are evil and when when Jesus who's the light of the world shines and reveals the wickedness of their hearts it is rejection it is fear Crucify him. Crucify him. 
and Jesus the perfect condemned. Verse 26. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. A great multitude of people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. If they do these things in the greenwood, what will they do? What will be done in the dry? It's interesting how Luke presents his his, his gospel, and and in the the other gospels we get uh, like it's beautiful the fact that we have four gospels that talk about the story because we get so many details and so many different perspectives. And the perspective that we have of Jesus is one of being beaten and whipped, and not recognizable as a man anymore. In Luke, it says, he presents them, Jesus to the people. He's like, I'm going to chastise him. And, and the account that we have is that before he agrees to crucify him, is he has him whipped, and the Roman way of whipping was to whip 40 times, save for one, with a cat of nine tails. Because they believed on the 40th one, he would die. And they would take this whip with many different ends, with glass and, and shards and, and pottery, broken pottery on it. And they would whip, whip the back and they would rip it off and try to cut as much flesh as they could. And the picture we have of Jesus is a broken man who's been whipped, who's been put in purple robes and presented to the people as this king that the Romans have subjected. That have, they have conquered and pushed down. And Pilate, Pilate thought this would be enough to see this man, this broken man, be enough to spare his life. But it wasn't. They still cried, crucify him. And so they took this broken, beaten man, and they put a cross on his shoulders, and they told him to carry it out of town so that they could nail him to it. But Jesus was so broken and beaten, he physically could not carry the cross any longer. And so he grabs some random guy, Simon, and they say, you're carrying it now. And Simon carries the cross of Jesus to his death. And there's a crowd that's following. There's a crowd that's mourning. And, 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 and the sight, the pitiful sight of a broken man who can't carry a cross. There's weeping. It's scary. It's disgusting. It's Jesus' journey to the cross. And that's what Jesus, Jesus looks at the mourners and he says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. (laughs) 
God. You're beaten, you're broken, you're bleeding, you're dying, you're walking to your death. You don't even have the strength to walk to your death. And you say, don't weep for you. And what I want us to recognize, as emotional as I am and as hard as this is to talk about, it's victorious. The journey to the cross is a victory lap for Jesus. And I don't mean to make light of what he's walking through. And I don't mean for us to think that it was nothing for him to die on this cross. It cost him everything. But it was his purpose. It was his plan. This is what he came for. To be the sacrificial lamb. To take our place on the cross. To die in our place. To pay the penalty of our sin. Jesus says, don't weep for me. This is what winning looks like. This is victory. It's hard. It's costly. It's painful. But this is how we win. This is how I have life. The journey to the empty tomb can only come through the cross. And the journey for our life and our resurrection can only come from our Savior on the cross. And Jesus walks to the cross and he's victorious. Verse 32, there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with him sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Romans had developed what throughout history people have talked about as being one of the most cruel deaths imaginable. It's what we wear around our necks. And it's what we think about fondly. But in Jesus' day, it was a curse. It was an ultimate sign of being defeated. It was a symbol of death. They would take someone, they took Jesus, they took these criminals. Other accounts tell us 
Sometimes the Romans would tie them, but sometimes they would nail them. And they took nails, and they put hands across, and they nailed his hands to this cross. And they nailed his feet. <clears throat> Some crosses, they would put a little like wedge at the feet to help help the 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 person dying to step up because what happens when you're crucified like this gravity makes you suffocate yourself in your own lungs like you 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 can't breathe anymore and to find reprieve you could push up on this wedge <laughs> hours on hours <laughs> he's already beaten he's already bloody and he's already broken but they put him on the cross to suffocate and he feels strength a mockery it's spitting in his face not only is the means of his death meant to be a mockery there's people that are standing there mocking him they put a name tag over him saying the king of the Jews this is why he's crucified and it's the Romans saying look at what we do to those who fight against us and the, and the priests the priests who should know and love their God are telling that the people can't even save themselves. He's, he's labeled a criminal. He's condemned to death. He's mocked. They sneer at him. Sometimes I want to be Peter. I want to be Peter. How many swords do I get? Jesus, I'm going to die for you. I won't let you die. And my attitude and, and, and my, my impetuousness and my desire to fight for God and the one that I love, how can I do nothing as I watch my Savior die? The anger and the wrath. And yet the attitude of Jesus is, forgive them. Forgive them. Jesus taught us how to pray. And he said, to pray this way. Forgive even as I have forgiven you. And to be mocked beaten, to be crucified, and to still have a heart that is forgiving. This is the goodness of our God. This is the mercy of our God. This is the love of our God. Even that while I was an enemy, even when it was my voice crying out, crucify him, 
even when it was my sins that nailed him. He's still faithful. He's still willing to forgive. This is Jesus. Verse number 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's two criminals that are crucified with Jesus. And one of them mocks the power of God. He mocks Jesus and his situation and his plight. And this criminal sees his own condemnation and he says, oh, save me. But he has no faith in Jesus at all. But there's another criminal who's in the same condemnation. And he recognizes, I deserve this. He does not. It's time we recognize what we deserve and what he deserves. It's time we stop thinking we deserve the salvation and forgiveness of our God. It's time we recognize that his sacrifice is the cost of his sacrifice. And what he requires of us pales in comparison. There's, there's two criminals, there's two thieves there that are crucified with Jesus. One has no recognition of his own need one has no recognition of what God can actually do. The other one recognizes his problems, his sin, his condemnation. And he asks Jesus to be the apostle. You cannot come to the foot of the cross in a heart that believes you deserve salvation. Come to the foot of the cross in humility. Recognition of who he is. And ask him. Thank him. Remember that. Remember me. Forgive him. And come as we are. Verse number 44. Now it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last.
So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together that, at, to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching all these things. Jesus died. God died. The centurion witnessed it. The crowds witnessed it. His acquaintances, his friends, his followers witnessed it. They witnessed the sun going dark in the middle of the day. They heard the roar of the earthquake as Jesus cried out, Father! They witnessed the death of Jesus. And none of them will ever forget. Have you seen the death of Jesus? Have you witnessed your God? And we come here and we, we eat bread and we drink some juice. And it's meant to witness to us the death of our Savior. I'm not asking you if you believe in some story. I'm asking you if you've witnessed the death of Jesus. If you have seen your God who took your condemnation and died in your place. Have you seen him? This isn't a story from days gone by. This is our God in my place. Do you see it? Do you believe it? who oversaw his crucifixion he saw his death and he said this is the will of God and what I, what I want to ask you to do today is to come to the cross to come to, to what we use to symbolize and remember the broken beaten body of our God the shed blood which was shed for our remission the remission of our sins I ask you to come today to this table and remember and see our God. He is worthy of worship. Remember. Verse number 50. Now behold, there was a, a man named Joseph, a a council member, a, a good and just man. And he had not consented to their decision and deed. He, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, and who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down, wrapped it in linden, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath and he drew, drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. 
when they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. to picture the cross. It's so hard to picture the pain and, and to recognize his, his forgiveness and his love. It's hard to imagine his final breath. But now picture Joseph going up to the cross and taking the body of his Savior up to the cross. Maybe he's begging Maybe he's praying, breathe, breathe once more, breathe. The denial, oh my God, he was just, he was perfect, and I didn't want this, I didn't desire this, but what can I do? Joseph does what he can, he cares for the dead body of his Savior, and he takes it. going to be arguments and there's claims that Jesus didn't really die. Let me tell you this. There's one per person for sure who knew that Jesus was dead. And it was Joseph. He carried the dead body into the grave. The tomb was the ultimate proof of Jesus' death. And when that stone rolled over the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women from them, with them, <coughs> came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then, as, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Listen, as hard and as emotional as considering the horrific death of Jesus is, there is victory and hope and joy and peace because of the empty tomb. Because Jesus has conquered the grave. He has conquered death. And there is absolutely nothing in your life that God does not have the power over. Jesus is alive. And when we come to this table and we take a piece of bread and we break it and we consider his body being ripped and beaten and we, we drink his blood as it was shed for us, we can rejoice because he's alive. Even through the pain and the horror of an instrument of death, God has redeemed it to bring life.
And God has offered life to you. Whatever's broken, whatever's hurt, whatever's destroyed, however beaten and broken and sinful and condemned you are, God has offered forgiveness. And he took your place, he paid the penalty, and now we can have life and forgiveness because of him, because of the cross. Hallelujah. Praise be to Jesus. The only reason we have anything in our life is because his mercy is more. Because he is good. He is loving. He is gracious. He is Jesus. I want to put a verse up on this page, uh, on the screen, and I want us to read it all together. And I want us in the context of what we've talked about and remembered today to understand this verse and the meaning and impact it has. Read this with me. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. The enemy of God, the one that rejected him, that rebelled against him, that yelled crucify him. He loves you so much that he came and died a brutal, brutal death on the cross. And now I don't have to be under condemnation anymore. I don't have to perish. I don't have to die. I can have life because he took my place. Paid my penalty. He says, whoever believes in him. Whoever believes. Paul says this in the book of Romans. He says, if you confess, that if you admit it, if you speak it, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made Unto salvation. So my question for you today is, do you believe? Do you believe that the broken body and the shed blood and the empty tomb has brought to you forgiveness? If you believe that Jesus Christ is God himself who took your place on the cross then I beg of you to confess it. To be as the, the criminal on the cross, to beg God, remember me, forgive me, give me life, not just right now, absolutely right now, but in, in the life to come. And whether it's the life you face today and the brokenness and the horror that we face today, or whether it's after our death, that we can have life and joy be redeemed and reconciled with our God, our Creator. Confess it. Admit it. Speak it. Pray to God for it. And I want to tell you, we come to this table time and time again because as much as I believe it and as much as I've confessed it before, rejected him I don't need him to go die again 
of his name to be again. And we come and we need to set a rhythm in our life where we are constantly remembering our Lord on the cross. The cost remember the effect that it has to bring life and forgiveness and we need to live our lives in constant remembrance of the life he has given us so I ask you today do you believe have you confessed and as we come today in a moment we're going to come to this this table and and we're going to partake of these things that symbolize the death of our God want us to pray. I want to shut up. I want you to spend some time talking to your God. Search your heart. David prayed, search me, O God, and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way within me. Let us pray and ask God for forgiveness of our sins. Let us remember and worship and glorify our God for the life that he has brought.